Welcome to Health Hackers. Thank you for being here. It is a pleasure to have you and it is also a pleasure to thank the sponsors of this episode. Glycanage, a science-based lab test you can take at home that estimates your biological age or what some may call your true age. Regular viewers, you might recognize the name Glycanage after my video review of my experience last summer. And by the way, you can still get 15% off your own home test kit using the code HEALTHHACKERS at the Glycanage checkout. Since making my review video, the company and I stayed in touch, and now I'm thrilled to be able to call Glycanage a current sponsor of Health Hackers. Head to glycanage.com to find out more about their test kits. And if you missed my review of Glycanage, the link to the video is in the summary text that goes with this episode. Thank you, Glycanage, for supporting Health Hackers. Now, over to the latest guest interview. Welcome to Health Hackers episode 55. My guest today is super savvy hormone health expert, Dr. Carrie Jones, a functional medicine practitioner who describes her work as helping hormonally challenged people feel less crazy. Dr. Jones, who is board certified in naturopathic endocrinology with a master's in public health, has spent over 15 years working in integrative medicine. If you follow her on Instagram, you'll already know about her many tell it like it is videos, just one of the ways in which she helps educate us about our hormones. Dr. Jones is also the medical director for Precision Analytical, the company behind the Dutch test, which stands for Dried Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones. For the next 30 minutes, I will be asking Dr. Jones all about hair loss and the role of hormones. Before we begin, a note to new viewers and listeners, anything you hear or see on Health Hackers should not be considered personal or medical advice. You know the score. Always talk to your health provider about your concerns. Dr. Jones, welcome. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to talk about hair loss. It's one of my favorite topics because it affects everybody. <laughs> I know this is a topic you found interests a lot of people, me included. So let's start with some hair facts. Mm. Does everyone's hair get thinner as they get older? There's a difference between, yes, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say, yes, I've definitely noticed that. I think everyone can turn around and look at their mother, their father, their grandmother, their, you know, their great aunties and go, ah, is my hair going to look like that as I get older? Um, and so what we find is that the hair follicles change our, you know, our scalp gets bigger. It expands as we go from a little kid into full adult. And that affects how many, our perception of hair and how many hairs we have per square inch, the color of our hair, um, really kind of dictates how much hair, how many hair follicles we have, how many hairs come out of each follicle. And so as we get older, we are more susceptible to things like disease and inflammation and chemicals and just the process of aging. And so, yes, we do find all of that affects the scalp and the hair follicle and can definitely thin out the hair for a lot of people as they get older. Not obviously not everybody. We all know somebody who's, you know, in their 70s with hair more gorgeous than I had in my 20s. So it's not everybody, but it's a lot. So tell us about the growth cycle. And would you say our hair is alive? Yes. So the hair itself is not alive, but in your scalp, the bulb is alive. And in fact, it's so alive that the cells turn over every like 24 to 72 hours. I mean, they're moving and grooving to get your hair growing, which is why 
when you, for those who have, who've had cancer and had to go undergo chemotherapy, chemotherapy kills rapidly dividing cells, which is why a lot of men and women undergoing chemo lose their hair because every 24 to 72 hours is rapid turnover and chemo gets it. So it is, the bulb itself is alive. And there are three main stages to hair growth. There's the growth stage, which is what we all want. And think of a factory. So the factory is on and it's, it's producing, you know, little ends to your hair to push it out of the follicle. And then there's the next phase, which is called the telogen phase. And that's the resting phase. So now the factories come to a screeching halt, nothing's happening. And then we move into the next phase, which is the catagen phase. And so that's when the hair, the factory is shutting down. It's a transition phase. Lights are coming off, workers are going home, and then the hair falls out. We can't change up the phases. I can't throw you in reverse. I can't tell you to put the factory back, lights back on. You have to go through each step and then you start over again. And then, and then eventually you hit back that antigen or growth phase, all the lights come back on, the bulb keeps going again. And so those are the big, the big phases. So everybody wants to be in growth phase, of course. And thankfully, most of your hair hopefully is in growth phase most of the time. Um, and, but it's, everyone's different and there are a lot of factors that influence that. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about those. But what amount of hair loss would you say is normal? About 100 strands a day. About 100 strands a day is considered normal, which can, when you have 100 you know, in your hand, it can feel like a lot and oh my gosh, what's happening? Um, you can sometimes feel like you're shedding like a dog, uh, but uh, yeah, that's considered normal. You have to, you have to shed. It's, you know, some of your follicles are in that fallout phase. And so when you brush your hair or shampoo or condition in the shower and you run your fingers through your hair, you will lose some, that's normal. You mentioned hair color earlier. And I remember as a kid hearing a rumor that blondes shed more hair than brunettes. <laughs> Is this true? So it's, there's no clinical evidence. There's a lot of anecdotal. So when you look online or when you, when I talk to my hairstylist, um, she, they say that because blondes tend to have more hairs per square inch, more hair follicles per square inch, therefore they have more to lose uh, as opposed to like a brunette um, or even a, a redhead who has less hair follicles per square inch. So it may not seem like they're losing as much. So blondes may have more strands coming out, but that's only because they have potentially have more hair follicles um, to lose the hair from. The, but there's not a lot of sort of um, solid clinical behind it. You know, you're not going to find that in PubMed research that somebody's put a million dollars towards. But, and we know that I have lots of brunette friends. I have lots of black hair friends. I have lots of red hair friends that say, I lose a ton. And so it's kind of person by person. So what are the main types of hair loss that you see in men and women? There are several, uh, but I would say the two biggest types I see are the most common. One is called telogen effluvium, which is where you sort of generally shed out from all over. Uh, it's common, like especially women who've give, given birth and they kind of have that blowout from all over of their hair. Women with thyroid disease, low iron stress. So it's not a particular area. It's just, I'm always losing hair. Then the other most common is probably the androgen, the androgenic alopecia, which is where you tend to lose hair in the temples um, like a receding hairline and back here on the crown of the head, it'll start to get thinner. Um, so we call it male or female pattern baldness. Now there are others, there's um, alopecia where you lose hair in patches. Um, and of course, 
some people have what's called alopecia totalis, which is where they lose, it's an autoimmune condition and they lose um, all of their hair. Then there's, there's um, you know, people can pull hair, trichotillomania. So there's some other, um, not as much talked about hair loss, but I would say the telogen effluvium and the androgenic alopecia affect men and women the most commonly. So you mentioned some specific ways the hair falls out there. So can the way your hair is falling, so the pattern, whether it's yes. patches or thinning all over, be an indicator of the reason for the hair loss? Yes. So if I have a woman who says to me, I feel like my hairline is receding, I feel like here at the temples, it's starting to get a little thin, I'm thinking androgens. Um, the other big hormone is prolactin, but androgens are your testosterone, your DHEA, your DHT. Uh, same for men. Men say I'm getting that male pattern hair loss. I have the bald patch in the back of my head. I'm thinking androgens. As opposed to a woman who says, you know, I just run my fingers through my hair and I just feel like it's just sort of coming out from all over. Then I'm thinking telogen effluvium. If I can see a patch of hair loss, if I'm looking at somebody's scalp or they're pointed out to me, or I have a man who says, I have this quarter size missing patch of hair, I'm thinking autoimmune. So I do, I am able to sort of lump them into groups. But as I said earlier, some people have more than one. And what are the main causes of those specific types you mentioned? So the androgenic are uh, androgen related. So it's, um, you have receptors that are able to bind hormones like testosterone. And so when you have a lot of testosterone or the potent kind, which is called DHT, when it binds to the receptor, it can, it can cause hair loss. It can sort of accelerate that fallout phase. And, and that's what I think about um, when I see the male pattern and female pattern baldness. Now, the telogen effluvium is a lot more general. The, the telogen effluvium is a lot more um, after birth, well, you know, breastfeeding. It's high stress. So think of all the people that said, wow, I lost a lot of hair in 2020. What's going on? Stress and inflammation pushes the hair into the resting phase or to the fallout phase. Hypothyroidism, low thyroid, absolutely. Low iron, low nutrients, low poor absorption of nutrients. Maybe you have GI issues. Certain medications are known to cause hair loss. Um, it, any kind of sort of scalp irritation, inflammation, let's say you moved into a new house um, and the water type that you're using is different or you, you know, I have people that tell me, you know, oh, I rented an Airbnb for a month because I can work from home. And I started, you know, after a while, I started noticing a couple, you know, a couple, like a month after that, I started noticing hair loss. Like, oh, I bet the water was different. Something was different about the water that you're using, switching your shampoo and conditioner. Um, this is something I learned in doing all this hair loss research. There's no hard and fast rule about what pH your shampoo and conditioner have to be, but yet a more acidic shampoo and conditioner can encourage that androgenic hair loss. And so there's me online looking at my shampoo, like what? Ah, can't have this. What's happening? And sure enough, when you look up just pH of shampoo, um, you know, companies will list it, just not on the bottle per se. And I was floored to know, I mean, I should know better by now, um, you know, that it can be, you can have a very acidic shampoo, just like you can have a very basic shampoo and that will all affect your scalp. Chemicals, think of the chemicals in shampoo and um, heat treatments and all, like, all of that affects it. I recently wrote an article for Health Hackers all about my home pH 
level testing. <laughs> I bought some strips to test my skincare products and interviewed some dermatologists who, like you, um, spoke about the, the natural acidity mm-hmm. of the skin. Um, I think I tested one or two of my shampoos, but when you're looking at acidity in your shampoos, do you like to go for one that's a little more acidic, so kind of 5.5? So what's interesting is that there, we think, let's talk about the, the testosterone form of hair loss. So the men and women who say I'm getting the temples, um, receding hairline, I have this, you know, crown at the back of the head. So you have an enzyme that will activate the potent form of testosterone called DHT. And it's, it's a gene, it's a, you know, it's a gene you can test for it. And so one of them activates that DHT faster. So it, it increases your risk for higher amounts of this potent form of testosterone, therefore potent form of hair loss in, if you're susceptible, it's activated in an acidic pH 5.5 or lower. And so it's more activated. It's, it's more activated in a 5.5 or lower. And so I have not found research to show you should maybe consider using shampoo or conditioner higher, a little higher than 5.5. Um, only that this enzyme loves, bathes, swims around in a 5.5 acidity and activates. And I thought, gosh, you know, if you are really struggling with female or male pattern hair loss, you in particular may want a more higher basic be higher than 5.5 where somebody else that enzyme may not be an issue for them at all they could have a very acidic shampoo um, and not notice any difference they don't have any issue with that enzyme so if you're already struggling then that's the person i might say hey look up the ph of your shampoo conditioner hair serum whatever you've got online let's see where you keep what you keep putting on your head and maybe that's accelerating the issue that's really interesting i hadn't heard that before i know so when when hair loss isn't genetically driven is it always hormonally related so not always because we do know things certain chemicals right we know chemicals can irritate the scalp we know things like histamine which isn't really a i mean it's not really a hormone hormone um so people who struggle with allergies, mast cell activation syndrome, they, that histamine levels on their scalp will affect the bulb and therefore affect, affect their hair loss. Medications, you know, medications aren't necessarily hormonal. Some hormonal medications will do it, but other ones like cholesterol medications and ibuprofen, Tylenol, like the over-the-counter pain medications, they can induce hair loss if done chronically. Um, and so it doesn't have to be hormonal, but hormonal is very common, absolutely. So when somebody comes to see you with what they believe to be unexplained hair loss, say it's a woman in her 20s, um, where do you go to look first for the root cause? So I do testing because I know hormonal is a big is a big area. So I'm looking at her thyroid. I'm looking at her estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol, DHEA, DHT, prolactin. So again, like it sounds like a lot, but these are pretty... Um, they can be routine tests that are, are very easy to test. I'm also looking at her iron status. I'm looking at her B12 status. Some of these things I know to affect hair loss, especially a woman in her 20s. Um, you know, thyroid, iron, uh, testosterone are all very common. Um, I look at her medication history. Are you on the birth control pill? Have you been taking Accutane for your skin? Are you on an antidepressant? You know, some of these um, 
medications may be common, more common in the 20 year old. The cholesterol statin medications, not very common in the 20 year olds, but you know, Accutane for acne, birth control pill, pretty common. And these, especially when you go on them, women will often say to me, oh my gosh, I just started that like three, four months ago, or I just started that this year. I'm like, okay, it is a known side effect. It is possible. It could be contributing to your hair loss, but so could all these other factors. You're anemic, you're low in B12, your testosterone is higher than it should be, or whatever, your hormones are off, your stress has been really high, <laughs> these things. And are all of those other factors that you might identify from the lab tests or the mm -hmm. lifestyle environmental factors, are they all addressable? Like, can they be sorted out to rectify the hair loss issue? Yes, to a degree. The hard part is that when you lose hair, it's, it's a survival thing in a sense. So the, if the body is off, growing hair is not a priority. You would think it would be a priority is like keep your scalp warm, but it's not a priority. So the body is not going to divert time, energy, and nutrients to growing hair. But for vanity purpose, men and women, I fully understand, want their hair thick, luscious, back right away. And so I say there is a lot we can do, but it's going to be like turning a cruise ship. You're going to have to get of it six months to a year before you feel like, okay, we're, like, we're making some serious changes. Because it can take up to three months, some th three to six months, depending what you read, for the hair loss to occur. The stress happened in January and somewhere between March and June, you're having all this stress or you're having all this hair loss, excuse me, due to the stress. So it's probably going to take some time to, to get that factory lights back on and continuing to grow hair. So yes, to a, to a big degree, a lot of those causes of hair loss, um, we can, we can absolutely work on, but it is not overnight. And that's what frustrates most people as they go, it's been a week. I'm still losing hair. I'm like, I know, <laughs> I know it's it, the factory doesn't work like that. It's not a switch that I can just turn on. There are a lot of shortcuts. There are a lot of um, band-aids. There are a lot of things we can do to help shift the process, but um, it, it, it could take time. And there may be reasons we haven't discovered. For example, maybe you are hypothyroid or maybe you are anemic or you're, we, we, we thought we have it like figured out and all of a sudden months later you go oh, my house has mold in it you know or oh, I just realized you know I forgot to tell you now that it's allergy season I'm a really allergic person and I forget this it's you know like my scalp is itchy all the time and I forgot you know so these we have as we uncover the layers of the onion we'll figure out maybe more reasons for the hair loss. And with those external factors that you mentioned earlier so the stress the medication the water are these all affecting negatively affecting the cycle the hair growth shed cycle and that is how it is causing you to lose hair yes so it is pushing your factory your, your from growth phase to either resting phase or fallout phase faster so it's speeding up the process of don't grow or fall out and and like i said we can't go backwards i can't put you if you're in resting phase, so not growing, so if you say to me, not only does my hair fall out, but it doesn't grow, then I can't reverse it. I can't say, oh, let me just knock you back into growth phase. As far as we know, it's not how it works. You have to fall out and then start over. And as we know, the, the start over is where you start to get the little fuzzy baby hairs um, because you're literally just starting from, from scratch. But thankfully, 
the bulb should be turning over every 24 to 72 hours. And so your hair hopefully will grow at a decent speed. What effect does weight loss or weight gain have on hair thickness? Big. So it actually, um, thickness is one thing. So the shape of your hair follicle is what dictates the, um, what your hair does. So whether it's straight, whether it's wavy, whether it's curly, like ringlet curly, but with hair loss, if you gain or lose weight, especially the lose part. So disordered eating, anorexic, bulimia, even just switch. I've had, I have women that say to me, I went paleo. I went carnivore. I went vegetarian. I just cut out gluten. Like what the heck? I'm, and I feel better, but I'm having hair loss. I'm like, it's a rapid shift as perceived by your body. And since hair is not deemed important or critical for survival, the body says, all right, let's wait on the hair. Let's let him or her settle out and then we'll start growing again. So yes, it can have an impact on the hair. On your point about water, you know you can get these water softener shower heads. Mm -hmm. Do you think they make a positive difference? So I anecdotally, I have a lot of people that say yes, especially if you've come from a very hard, you're very hard water. Anecdotally, I do have people, women and men who say to me, I bought a water softener and my hair feels healthier or shiner, shinier. More importantly though, it seems water filters um, are what make the biggest impact anecdotally, filtering out chemicals, anything that you've got, you know, coming in from your city line uh, seems to make an even bigger impact. So I have more women and men who say, mostly women who say to me, I bought a shower filter, not a softener, but a filter. And it's made a world of difference. Cause think about it when you're in your hot shower, all your pores and follicles open on your face, on your arms, on your legs, in your scalp. And then you rub a shampoo or conditioner or a mask or whatever you're using. And if it's not the cleanest, you know, if it's, if it's just whatever you bought off the supermarket shelf and it's maybe potentially it's parabens and phthalates and all these chemicals, and it's really acidic, you, the heat opens up the follicles, drives that right inside and it can affect. So now if you have a water filter, at the very least you can filter out a lot of the chemicals that are coming in through your water supply. Do you think with the shower heads that they're actually just making the hair feel nicer rather than impacting the growth shed cycle? You mean the, like a water softener? Yeah, or even a filter. Potentially, but I mean, I think just knowing what I know about what unfortunate, you know, chemicals um, make it through our water system, even just medications. I mean, there's a, I live in Portland, Oregon, and and so West Coast, and, and then up to Seattle. Um, you know, we read these reports of our water and how like they can test for trace amounts of antidepressants and birth control pills and HRT and statin medications because you can't like how do you you can't filter that out 100. percent People are urinating it out or they're literally dumping it into the toilet and, and flushing it because they don't want other people in their household to get it if, if it's expired or something. And you know, opioids. I mean, it's just crazy what they're finding in our water supply and very, you know, very, they deem it safe, but after a while it's like, well, that's one, you're drinking it and two, you're pouring it into your scalp. <laughs> so if somebody is listening and they feel like they're losing more hair, maybe they're brushing it and just more is coming out than they mm -hmm. remember used to, what do they do first? So talk to their health healthcare provider first and foremost, because if it's something that's, um, easily remediable, then, then you want to make sure you get some blood work, get your blood work tested, uh, look at your recent history, listen to this podcast and think to yourself, 
Did I just switch my diet, you know, in the last three to six months? Have I started any, started or stopped any medications in the last three to six months? How has my stress been in the last three to six months? Like all these things, any of these big changes, did I move? Does my water changed? Any of these things could be affecting hair loss, but the, the lab work can be really, really helpful because it can, um, you know, maybe reveal some really big hormonal shifts that not only affect hair, but are going to affect a whole lot of other systems in your body as well. And then you can, and then you can get on one correcting that and then two support for the scalp support for the hair follicle. So I want to ask you about this. I have a red light therapy hat. Yes. What I had read about this particular device seemed impressive when we bought it. I like it. There appears to be some scientific backing. What mm. is your view on red and near infrared light for encouraging healthy hair growth? I think it's really, really encouraging. I have, I don't have a cap, but I have a red and near infrared light panel um, that I stand in front of most days of the week. And what we know is we know that the, your mitochondria, we all learned about our mitochondria in school, our cellular powerhouses. There's actually, um, in the creation of our energy known as ATP, there is a, an enzyme and it has what's called a photoreceptor on it. Meaning when light comes in, particularly red and near infrared light, it activates, it makes it happy. And so when you get that red and near infrared light, you can actually improve or enhance um, your mitochondrial energy ATP production. And so when you have it right on the scalp, not only will it help your mitochondria, but it can help also reduce um, inflammation. So if you have a lot of inflammation in your scalp, um, that can be helpful. The other interesting thing about our, our hair follicles, all of them, is that we can make itty bitty tiny amounts of cortisol and itty bitty tiny amounts of testosterone right in our hair follicle. So right there locally, you may have a lot of cortisol, not only systemically if you're stressed out, but just right in the hair follicle. And so the red and near infrared may help calm that down or, or, or bring that down. And so that's why I think it's really, could be really, really helpful for a lot of people. It also just feels quite relaxing it does. as well. <laughs> I get hyperbaric oxygen therapy sometimes. And in the place I go, they give you a, a, a cap um, just for fun. And they're like, why not? Why not stimulate your hair? And, you know, why not impact that brain? Why not calm down inflammation? And I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> Wonderful. I used to do hyperbaric in London when I lived there. It still used to make my ears a bit uncomfortable every time. Do you ever get over that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I feel. I've gotten used to it, but I, I know what to expect. But yes, I, you pop your ears quite a bit. In the beginning and the end. So oxygen must be good for stimulating hair growth, is it? Yes, yes, really good for stimulating hair growth. It is definitely one of the things that people can do. And I realize, of course, it can be cost prohibitive for a lot of people. But when, um, like traumatic brain injury, it's oxygen, uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy is commonly used for those who've had a traumatic brain injury. And they will report back, and my hair is growing better. <laughs> Like, fantastic. I love it. So in terms of having and maintaining healthy hair, what mm -hmm. kinds of things do you do? Because you look like you've got gorgeous hair. So I think, well, part of mine, part of mine is uh, genetics. Thankfully, my dad, I take after my dad and he's, he's uh, 70 and even in his early 70s, he's gorgeous hair. So thank you. Thank you to my father. But there are a lot of, um, you know, um, I was going to say like, the shampoo that I use is pretty, I don't I would, I would tell you the name if I could, I completely 
now I've completely forgot what it is, but it doesn't have parabens and it doesn't have phthalates and it doesn't have a lot of these other, um, you know, the sulfates that, that um, sodium lauryl sulfate uh, that can affect hair follicles. And I feel that between what I eat in my diet and the supplements that I take um, can be really helpful. I do love, there's some um, like essential oils that are helpful. You know, rosemary is a, is a great one for the scalp, um, castor oil. Um, so I have put some castor oil in my shampoo. And so every time I shampoo my hair, condition my hair, and I don't put a lot, I mean, just to, like a drop or two, you know, to really just help reduce inflammation. So I've seen people on social media talking about castor oil and hair, mm -hmm. and I don't know what, what it is, what's going on? What, what do you do? Is it, you, do you apply it? Yes, so you can apply it. Now castor oil um, is from the castor bean and it, a lot of people remember it as maybe something their grandmother gave them like as, as a spoonful because what it does is it helps um, really relieve constipation. Let's just say that it causes quite the blowout. I have had people in other countries tell me, oh yes, we used it as a worm purgative. Oh. And I, you know, I hear the craziest things. Don't take it internally. Mm -mm. No, no. This is a topical thing that has been shown to potentially help reduce inflammation and improve uh, the hair follicle getting into that growth phase. And so castor oil, you can, you can put your shampoo in your hand and you can have a castor oil bottle in your shower with you and put just a couple of drops and just wash, you know, scrub your scalp, wash your hair or your conditioner. You can do a castor oil hair mask, just like you would do any other hair mask, uh, like a deep conditioning mask, you would you would rub, you would put castor oil, make sure it's, you know, on your scalp. The big, huge, gigantic caveat is castor oil is a very thick oil. It's way thicker than like all over avocado oil. And it's really tough to get out. So don't think you're going to just listen to this, hop in the shower, do a castor oil hair mask and expect it to get out. You're going to have to wash your hair a couple of times to get the oil out. But the people I know who do it or do it regularly um, no, have noticed, especially when they add in some of the supportive, maybe oils, uh, stimulatory oils, like rosemary, I said, being one of them, um, have they, they're like, oh my gosh, it's, it's cheap, it's easy, it's an at-home treatment, mm. and it really, has, it really has made a difference. But don't overdo it, especially with the, the drainage. Don't overdo it, yeah. Now with, a, the other thing I have had women do is, especially if they're getting um, the loss at the temples, or maybe receding hairline is maybe they don't put the castor oil all over their whole scalp, but they kind of just rub it right at the temples and let it sit there for five or 10 minutes, rub it on their, their sort of their hairline. So just like spot treat with it um, to try to help incur, reduce inflammation and purge the flip into back into hair growth. But there are other interesting, you know, like I say inflammation. So think of like your curcumin, which is turmeric. Um, you can, you can use curc, you can take it orally. You can take it as a spice. Um, and then there's some mice studies um, where they applied curcumin as a, like, you know, curcumin can come as a liquid, it comes as a tincture bottle. And so they've actually rubbed it all over the, the hair loss part of the mice and found that it helped with hair growth. And so curcumin is orange. So be careful when you rub it in your scalp, you may temporarily turn your scalp orange in that moment. Um, but some of these, these things have been shown to be Really, it's reducing inflammation so that the factory can turn back on. And while I have you, because I know I have to let you go, but while I still have you, can we just quickly bust some myths? Oh, yes. So what are the common errors that you see 
people trying to do to increase hair growth that you know just will not work and, and should not be done? So the, the big ones I see are not washing their hair. I have people who say, I just don't wash my hair at all um, because I'm afraid when I wash my hair, I'll lose my hair. But the problem is now you have all that oil and skin and everything that builds up and clogs the hair follicle and that can be a big problem. So actually not washing your hair enough um, might be a reason. I'm not saying you have to wash it every day, but I have had women say, oh, I only wash it every 10 days or every seven days, every sometimes every two weeks. And then what they do is they use dry shampoo, right? They use dry shampoo um, and that just is further, depending which sh dry shampoo you use, they're not always that healthy um, and it just further clogs and irritates the scalp. So that's a big one. The other is I have people say that um, I, they're like, I never brush my hair. I don't ever brush my hair because I, I'm afraid every time I brush it, it's going to fall out. So um, I just kind of let it be. I'm like, well, you want, you do want to brush it because you want the brush to help. I mean, at least sometimes. <laughs> To, to like disperse the oils, right? And get the tangles out and stimulate the scalp. You do want to stimulate the scalp. That's a, that, that all the blood flow that comes with the scalp is what supports the bulb so that it can grow or so it can cause the hair to grow. And so those are kind of the two, probably the two biggest ones I hear oddly about, about hair. Oh, never cutting. I never cut my hair. That's the other one. I don't ever cut my hair so that it will grow. I'm like, well, if you don't cut down, cut not cutting down here is, does not affect the bulb up here. So um, that it's that's a different way of thinking. Dr. Jones, thank you so much. Well, thank you. This is definitely one of my favorite topics. So I'm glad we got to dive into it. Viewers and listeners, I will share links to Dr. Jones's social media and website in the summary that goes with this video. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, leave us a comment or hit the like button. And if you're listening on Spotify, SoundCloud or Apple, I would love it if you left a review of the show, especially if it's a nice review. Thank you for being here. Until next time. Bye bye.